I'm Carson, I'm the youth pastor here, and thank you so much for joining us today. And before I get into today, I just want to pray quickly as we get into this text. And yeah, we'll get into this. So, Lord God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us, how it's a double-edged sword that, it, that cuts through to our souls and it cuts, uh, cuts the people around us to, to glorify you, God, to get to know your character, your Holy Spirit, and that, Jesus, that you will just show us what you want to speak to us today, God. Um, I pray, God, for myself that I will move out of the way, that your Holy Spirit will just move in the midst of, of, of these words that I speak today, God, and that it will only glorify you. God, I pray that anything that's of me, that it will be forgotten, and that only you, Jesus, that only you are spoken of today, God, and it only glorifies you. So I praise your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this last weekend, I've had the honor and privilege of hosting one of my best friends from Bible school. And so I, I said I wouldn't call him out too much, but it's that guy right there in the gray hat. His name's Kieran. He's, if you want to give a little wave, Kieran, to everybody. Hi, Kieran. He's, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. He's one of my best friends from Bible college. And we've known each other for, what, five years now? I think five years. And <laughs> we, we were talking this past week about kind of like the things that have changed about us as people since the time we got to know each other. And it was kind of wild because as we've gotten to know each other, I realized in myself that I have changed dramatically, both physically, oh gosh, straight up. <laughs> that was quick. So, uh, yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay. So, yeah, that's me before Kieran met me. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It's um, quite, 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 the, quite the change, but. Um, that was me before going to Bible college. I was, I was very sick that day, but um, this was right before Bible college really started. And I came to Bible college, and I met this guy, Kieran, and slowly over time, I started to realize he has very expensive taste in clothing, a very expensive taste in clothing. And as we got to know each other, we, we were only together for maybe like a year, I'd say. And I didn't really get to know him very well over the winter semester, but over the spring semester, we really got to know each other because we were roommates. And we, we got to stay in the same room. We listened to the same sleep playlist together. We, went to, we got up very late for breakfast every morning. We, we went to lectures together, very exhausted because we couldn't fall asleep the night before that. And we got to know each other very well. And I noticed over time that my tastes in things started to really change. I started to like the same things that Kieran liked. I liked, this, like, I liked the same music he liked. Um, I, liked the, I liked the same, yeah, just the same things overall that he started to like. And I didn't really notice this really until, as I said, bio, uh, spring, spring semester. And it kind of reminded me of this quote. Um, I think the guy's name is Jim Ron that, that said this originally. But it says that you are the average of the top five people that you spend the most time with. And for me, this quote cannot be more true of my friendship with Kieran. Because when I look at myself there, I look at myself now, I'm like, goodness gracious, that's not the same person. Like, I have changed dramatically, not just, in the, not just in the mental sense, but obviously in the physical sense as well. And it's interesting to me because I find that when we spend time with people, and that changes over time, we develop different friendships, our family, we move away, we move in with family, that changes. But usually when you, when you spend time with people, whether it's family members, coworkers, or friends, they should change the way that you do things. They should change the way that you act, and they should just change you in general. And the problem that, or the, the thing I want to pose to us today, 
is, it, it's, it's hinged on this word should, should change our life. So you see that there is a person that most of us in this room know, and we spend time with him each and every day. We can talk to him any second of the day, and yet sometimes we tend to ignore him. And we, and we can think to ourselves, is he actually changing who I am? And see, it's not, for a, not, it's not the matter of he's, he's not trying to. In fact, he's trying to each and every day to change us from the inside out, but we can oftentimes neglect him. And so today we're going to talk about this guy who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so we're going through this series of 1 John. We're asking ourselves the questions, am I in the light? We're seeing what it means to pass the tests of a believer, a Christian, a little Christ, and a follower of the way. And today we're going to be looking at these verses in 1 John, and we're going to be seeing what the Holy Spirit actually does in the life of a Christian. And I know that as some of us Mennonite brethren people, we, we don't actually, I've noticed, talk about the Holy Spirit very often. Because for some of us, it can be a little bit of a, a touchy subject. Maybe you think about the charismatic stuff, and you're like, like, I don't know what to think about that. But I just want us to kind of just think about it from a, from a general perspective. What is, what is this text saying about the Holy Spirit? Because I know for myself, very often, I can just look at the Trinity as Father, Son, Holy Bible. But in all reality, we need to look at what the Holy Bible is saying about the Holy Spirit. And so today, that is our subject, is this question of do I have the Spirit? Do I have the Spirit? And so three things that I want us to be looking at today, asking these three questions. The first question is what are our hearts naturally drawn to? Secondly, what is the Spirit trying to draw us into? And then thirdly, what, are, what should our lives be looking like as the Spirit impacts our lives? And so if you have your Bibles, can you, if you can open up to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be going through the verses 19 through 24. And it's going to be up on the screen. It already is. Wow, you guys are killing it today. So starting from verse 19, it says this. This we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. That's, that's a good chunk of text. But, so before we get into the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to kind of wrestle with this, this first conflict that we see in this text, this inner conflict, which is this question of what the heart is doing. And it gets into my first point, which is a heart that condemns us. A heart that condemns us. So a few years ago, I was talking in, in a youth group that I was a part of a while back with one of these guys. He was in grade, grade 9, grade 10, and we were just chatting, kind of having normal conversation. And I noticed that he, I've, he's only been there for maybe a few months at this point, and we were talking, and he didn't really hang out with people very much. He was kind of a loner in a sense. He didn't really do much with other people. The games were not really of interest to him. He just kind of did his own thing. And so I come up to him, and I talk to him. I say, hey, man, like, what's going on? Like, do you, like, I didn't want to be like, do you have any friends? But, like, like what, do you, what do you like to do? Do you have people in your corner outside of youth group? Do you have, like, other people you can chat to? And the thing that I found interesting was that he actually does have lots of friends, 
But the thing was that they moved away, they, they either graduated from school or they went to a different, a different school, they moved with their parents, uh, they graduated to go to a college, uh, many different reasons that he gave me. But the thing was, I think because I'm a leader, he kind of gave me this, like, this God answer, where he was like, Carson, I understand that God loves me, and I understand that he doesn't want me to be lonely, but the thing is that right now I feel very lonely. And I found that interesting because he gave me two different truths in the same statement. The first truth was that God is good. God is, God is not a God that leaves us. He's not a God that forsakes us, and he's not a God that leaves us to our own devices and just kind of lets us do our own thing. He's in us and he's with us each and every step of the way. So that's the first truth he gave me. The second truth is that he was lonely. He was very lonely, and he didn't know what to do with these feelings of loneliness. He didn't know how to connect with people. He didn't know how to talk with people. And so he wrestled with these two things. And the question I kind of had in my, in my head was, okay, there's these two different truths, and we have this very often where we have two truths in our lives, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what truth is governing our life? What truth is governing our life? See, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 31 kind of says a similar thing here. Starting in verse 12 from verse, uh, chapter 31, says this. I am forgotten like a dead person, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. And here's the second truth. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. So there's this battle going on in his own mind. These, these, these inner conflicts, these two truths of knowing what's happening in the psalmist's mind. And you might be thinking to yourself, too, you might have these kind of wrestles where you say, God, I'm lonely, but I know that you're good. I know that you're with me. God, I didn't get that job, and I feel like a failure, but God, I know that you're with me, and you have a better plan for me. And you see, it's not that we just know these truths, but it's that we have to persuade ourselves of these truths. We have to persuade ourselves of these truths. And so if we can go back to verse 19 of First uh, John, it says this. This we shall know that we are of the truth. And if you want to underline this part, if you have your, your uh, scripture journals, it says reassure our hearts before him. Reassure. So uh, if anyone, who here has a study Bible today? Does anyone have a study Bible on them right now? Anybody? Okay, cool. So I don't know if your study Bible has this, but bef beside mine, it has a little letter for reassure. And it, most study Bibles have these letters, and it kind of corresponds to where the letter is. It gives you a little note on it. And the note for mine, it said that this word reassure, it literally is described, and it means the word to persuade. And this word persuade in the Greek, it's a verb, and it's pytho, pytho. And it's an, it's an action word. It, means to, it literally means to persuade yourself. And it's used many times in the New Testament, and one example in particular, it's actually used in the, the trial between Barabbas and Jesus, and the crowd, the, the Pharisees, it says that they're trying to pytho the crowd to let Barabbas go and let Jesus stay and be crucified. And so it's this interesting word that we need to persuade ourselves. And there's this, this tension between two decisions, two truths that we might be feeling. And we need to persuade ourselves one way or the other. And so you might be asking yourself, okay, so we're talking about persuasion right now. What, what, what do we need to persuade ourselves of or away from? What are these two truths? See, we need to persuade ourselves away from condemnation, from condemnation, from the shame that the enemy wants to put you in and under. When it, so whenever you, you, you say something you shouldn't have said, done, done something you shouldn't have done, looked at something you shouldn't have looked at, 
the, the enemy wants to take that. He wants to take that feeling of condemnation and just really just dig it into you and say, how could you have done that? And now, I want to be clear when I say this. If you're here this morning, and you might be thinking to yourself, like, okay, like, we need to persuade ourselves away from condemnation. That's great. Carson, I don't really feel that right now. Like, I'm not really feeling like I'm condemned. Like, I know where I am in the, in the spirit. That's great. And I don't want to paint a super broad brushstroke when I say this, because not everyone's going to relate with what I'm going to say. But I want you to, to ask yourself the question, or, or, or think about this statement I'm going to say, sorry, that you could be in a more dangerous situation than you think if you're not thinking that you, that you struggle with this. Because just because your heart doesn't condemn you, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's wanting to do something in your heart here. And that you, you might want to approach God's throne, his, which is full of grace, full of mercy, and he, he is those two things. But we need to understand the Holy Spirit is wanting to prompt us to do something when we sin. Which is my second point, which is a spirit that convicts. A spirit of convicts. So, if you've been in church long enough, you probably have heard this word many, many times, but to give you the actual definition of the word convict, it means to have a formal declaration of guilt. A formal declaration of guilt. So what this means, as I said before, when you watch that thing you shouldn't have watched, you said that thing you shouldn't have said, you, you said that and you, and you looked at a thing you shouldn't have looked at, the Holy Spirit will prompt you, whether it's through a sermon, whether it's through a conversation, whether it's through um, a podcast, whether it's through reading scripture, he's going to prompt you, and he's going to remind you of that guilt that you bear. And the thing is, it's not to shame you. It's not to say, as the enemy does, to say, like, look what you've done. You can't, you can't recover from this. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is say, hey, look what you're doing. I want to bring you closer to Jesus because of that. I want you to bring you closer to the cross. Because through condemnation... The enemy wants to push you away from the cross. He wants to say you're not innocent anymore. You're not in God's arms. But through conviction, he says, I want to bring you closer to the shadow of the cross. I want to bring you more in relationship with Jesus because he uses conviction to reflect his character and says, I can bring you closer to myself if you just listen to me, if you just do what I tell you. And the thing is that although we do sin every single day, the Spirit reminds us of the gospel. So I want to read to you from, uh, from John chapter 16. Uh, this is Jesus talking about what the Holy Spirit actually does. Among many other things, but this particularly, he says this in, in chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is the part, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so right there, we could have, you know, your three-point sermon, and we could talk about that for the next 45 minutes. But this first part, uh, when it says that he will convict the world concerning sin. And we can ultimately see this play out through all of Scripture. And one place that we actually see this really, really play out is in the book of Acts. See, um, in youth group this past year, we've actually gone through the book of Acts, not verse by verse, but we've kind of gone through the major narrative of some of the cool, some, not the cool stories, just the, the major stories. It's all cool, okay? It's all cool. But the first way we went through is Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as I said before, with all the, char- like the more charismatic sort of things, is that 
when the, when the Holy Spirit came rushing in like a wind and the pillars of fire on their heads and they were speaking in different tongues, different things, I would love to talk about that sort of stuff. I would. But we got 25 to 30 minutes, okay? So we'll, we'll keep it short. But the thing that I really want to point out here is that these tongues, these things that were, that were seen as miracles, they were pointing to something. It wasn't just, it wasn't the thing in and of itself that was bringing them to God. It was making them question, where is this coming from? What's the source of this? And so Peter gets into it. He starts, he starts to explain things. He starts to tell the crowd and he gives the first ever like really big sermon on the gospel on Jesus and says this in Acts 2 verses 37 to 41. This is the crowd in response to Peter's sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls came to Jesus that day. The question is why? Why did they come? Because they were convicted in their souls. It says at the very top that they were cut to the heart. And so you might be asking yourself the question, okay, Carson, like, that's great, conviction, condemnation, conviction. There's these two things that we need to hold on to. But are you saying now that if I have the Holy Spirit, I'm supposed to feel convicted every single day uh, and every single second of the day and just feel this weight? What am I supposed to walk around feeling like? What am I supposed to do with this? I want to restructure that question quickly. Um, and I want to ask you the question here is when you do sin, because I've said this three times now, we do sin every single day. But when you sin, where do you run to? Where do you run to first? Because like I said, there is this difference. There is this tension that condemnation brings you away from Jesus. Conviction brings you to Jesus. And so we need to understand where, like, how do we get into more intimacy with God? Because let me be really clear, is that we deserve condemnation. We deserve to be away from God. You and I, we sin every single day. It doesn't matter if this is your first time in church or if you're sitting on stage preaching. We fall short of God's standards every single day. And because he's holy, because He is set apart from each and every one of us, we can't come into a perfect, into, into his perfect presence because we're not perfect, we are imperfect. And so we cannot come into his presence. We are destined to pay for our sins and to be away from him for eternity. But, as we've talked about this morning, in the biggest moment of human history, Jesus comes down to earth as man-God, fully, fully human, fully, fully God, and he takes upon our sins and he says, you know, I'm gonna live the life that you could not live. I'm going to die the death that you deserve to die. I'm going to get you in right relationship. And he says that when you believe that, that you belong to him, that there is no more condemnation for you, that there is nothing that can separate you as far as the east is from the west is your sins from you. There is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from God if you believe in him. And so, as I said before, what you believe determines how you behave. And so I asked this question, if you truly, truly believe this, does your life reflect this gospel I just shared? 
Because abiding Christians, it's funny that you mentioned that quote before, Kimball. I, I put in my notes, abiding Christians will be the most optimistic people in the world. And not just this blind optimism, but this actual rooted, gospel-centered optimism. To know that we are saved, that we, that we this, is, this is the worst it's going to be. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not just trying to gloss over the things that we struggle with, because we do struggle. There are things that we, that we whether it's circumstances that are out of our control, or it's things that we have to deal with each and every day, there are struggles here on earth. There are real struggles. But knowing that this is the worst it's going to be, and that we have an eternity to spend with God for the rest of our of eternity, <laughs> we're a little redundant, but we can, we can get to know and reflect the character of Jesus. And so I need to ask the question, how do we apply this to our everyday lives? And one way we can actually practically apply this of, of knowing this difference between condemnation and conviction is just to ask the Spirit to, to show you where you're, where you're falling short. It's simple. It's very simple. But I find even with myself sometimes I gloss over this fact of every day just asking the Spirit, Spirit, what are you wanting me to, to learn today? What are you trying to show me? How are you trying to, in, to, to sharpen me more into your character? And the thing is that he is faithful to do that. He will do that if you just ask him. He will move in your heart, and he will start to slowly bring you closer and closer into character with Jesus. And secondly, every day when you open up Scripture, when you open up your Bible, ask the Spirit to use the Scripture as a mirror into your heart. Because as we've talked about this morning already, the Scripture is a double-edged sword. It's good to, to, to preach to people, to bring people into more relationship with Jesus, but also it cuts our own hearts. And it tells us, oh man, like I'm really falling short here, or I'm really not doing well here. So help me, Holy Spirit, to show me where I'm falling short. Because he will feed your soul every single day with the anchoring word of God. And so we've talked about what our hearts naturally drift towards, which is condemnation. We talked about what the Spirit is trying to bring us towards, which is conviction. And now, we're asking ourselves the question, okay, so we're, we're going towards conviction. What exactly does this look like now as people who are, who are abiding in the Spirit? How do I live this out, and what do I look like as a Christian who is walking in step with God? Which brings me to point number three, which is a life that is marked with confidence. A life that is marked with confidence. Man, I'm really... Uh, all those, all those words I use start with con. I'm really being a preacher today, so that, that, works, that works perfectly. But, um, yeah, so a life that is marked with confidence. So a few years ago, I, I tend to share stories about when I was in Bible school quite often. But this one in particular, uh, I, I, was, I was out. I was just starting to travel for the first time in my whole life. I've, my family is pretty privileged. We've gone traveling quite a lot, but it's always been me with my family, right? So I just kind of do what they want to do. We go, we go to the places they want to eat. They see the things that they want to see. And I just kind of just there for the ride, right? So in 2017, this was my first ever time I got to travel by myself. It was with a friend, mind you. So it was kind of that, that, that security there. Because he's been to this place before. We went to Japan. And he was, he was going on staff. I was going there as a student. And what happened was that as soon as I got onto the plane, it was just like instant, like just heart beating. So I was like, holy crap, like... I'm by myself now. Like, this is all on me. Like, I'm going to go to this country. I'm not going to understand, A, the language. It's just going to be, like, gobbledygook to me. And I'm, like, it's, I'm, I'm going to die. 
Like, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm not going to be able to talk to people. Like, it's just going to suck. And so I was having this, like, internal dilemma of, like, what am I going to do? And so I was telling him the, all this. I'm just like, man, like, what do I do? Like, do I have to, like, learn Japanese? Do I have to, like, do I have to, like, bow every time I say thank you? Like, what do I have to do? And he was just like, it's, it's okay, Carson. Just calm down. Take a breath. I've been here before. Let's just, let, like, just follow me, okay? Just follow me. And so for two weeks, we traveled around Tokyo. He took me around, like, the inner city, and we got to see, like, Tokyo Disneyland. We got to go to a lot of different, like, noodle shops and stuff like that. It was awesome. It was a great time. But then after those two weeks, he, he had to go to the Bible college to start his staffing and to kind of get his training. So he was like, Carson, you know what you've done now. You've been, you've been doing this already for two weeks. You understand this. Just go off and do your own thing now. You, you know how to travel. You know how to ask for things. He's like, okay, got it, man. Like, I, I understand. I understand the mission. It's going to be great. He goes. The next day, I go to 7-Eleven, get my food, go back to my hotel room, and stay there. <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, what do I do? Like, this is, like, this is scary stuff. Because now, like, with him, I could, like, I could understand and have the confidence that he is with me. He, he knows the questions. He knows the things. He knows the stuff. But at this point, I was just like, okay, like, I have to try. I have to do this. So then the next day, I went out. I tried to go around the, the, uh, the inner city line that I talked about before. And then at, like, 3 p.m., I went back to my, to my hotel room because at 7 p.m., the trains were going to stop, and I couldn't wait four hours. Like, that's just too long. And so the next day, it got better and then better and then better. And then after a few months of actually living in Japan, I noticed I was going on bike rides by myself. I was talking to Japanese people by myself. I was doing things by myself that I naturally wouldn't have done by myself when I first got there. And I started to get the, over this fear of traveling, and it actually turned into a confidence of, of being able to actually do the things I wanted to do. And the same vein, I feel like this is actually a window into the Christian life. See, we start off not knowing at all what we're supposed to do. We kind of just stay in our little box of like, okay, like I understand this. I understand the gospel. This makes sense to me. I'm not going to brand, like I'm not going to do much else from there because it scares me, right? And then someone comes along into your life and says, okay, I'm going to show you the ropes. I'm going to show you m- more of what we can do. He's going to disciple you. He's going to teach you more. He's going he's gonna to show you more about what the scriptures say. And then as, as they start to maybe branch out from your life and go their own way, it's now on you. Now you have to initiate. Now you have to be the one to do the things. And somewhere down the line, we, we start to see, okay, like I'm starting to gain confidence. I'm starting to understand more. And it turns that fear into confidence. Philippians 1.6, speaking on confidence, says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you today, is that when God calls you, when he calls you into his family, he's calling you for the long haul, not just for a season, not just for one, like a one-and-done sort of situation. He's in for the long haul, and it's a daily life of community. It's a daily life of communion. It's a daily life of, of giving up yourself for the sake of Christ. And so, question, how can we be confident that we're staying, not just staying in relationship with him, but actually growing in intimacy with him? Is there a standard by which we can actually tell, am I doing well in my relationship with Jesus? And funnily enough, Scripture has this all over the place. But one thing I want to really point out here is from Matthew 22. We probably all know this. It is the greatest, the great commandment, right? So it says this, as he's talking to this expert in the law, the expert says this, teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. And Jesus says this back to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So when we look at this text, which of course we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this passage, we see that Jesus is showing us how we are supposed to live the Christian life through love. But the thing is, is that we still fall short of this every single day. A Christian artist and writer that I, I follow said this. He says that these two commandments are so dependent on each other that if you were to separate loving God from loving neighbor, as far as God is concerned, you would be doing neither. So that's quite a stark comment when you just take that at face value. But I want you all to know this morning is that in the gospel, the good news that Jesus offers, that is where we find our true confidence. It's not through the things that we do, it's through the things that Jesus has done. Because, see, that's a paradigm shift. It's a little one, but it's, 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 it's life-changing. Because we don't, follow, we don't find our confidence in how well we follow the commandments, because that's just what the Pharisees did. They, they viewed God as this checklist that they had to mark off. But, you, they, but, uh, but what God actually wants is not the checklist. He wants your heart. He wants who you are as a person. So was Jesus wrong then in commanding that we need to love people? That as Christians we need to show that? That that is kind of our branding as, as followers of Jesus? No, of course not. Because we know that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people who are marked with love, who are abiding Christians. But I've said this before, is that God is not against effort. He is against earning. He is not against effort. He is against earning. You see, it's that we are supposed to be followers, we're supposed to be followers of Jesus who know that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a fo- uh, to, to be in the presence of God. But because of his work, we get to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not because we have to do these things, it's because we get to do these things, if that makes sense. And that obedience should be rooted in the gospel because Jesus is our king and he deserves our fullest obedience. And so in the gospel, we are given this intimacy with God. And so I ask the question, what more could we possibly need this morning? So to jump back to our time together, um, or the start of our time together, if you ask me how much I've changed since I got to know my friend Kieran here, um, you, might ask, you, might, you might ask me that, and I might, I might respond to you, and I say, well, not much, right? Like, if I, st- if I didn't really talk to him very much, I didn't really say much to him. I didn't call him very often. I kind of still did my own thing. We didn't hang out much. You probably could get two things out of that. Number one, I wouldn't be a very great friend, right? Because I don't want relationship with him. I just want to do my own thing, say my own things, go my own way. And secondly, what you could gather is, is that he doesn't have much influence in my life. And so when you look at your life this morning, when you take a hard, hard look into your heart, how much is the Holy Spirit impacting your life today? Because the thing is that he wants to. He wants to give you the conviction to be and, and to grow towards a, a life that is marked with confidence and with love and conviction. And you can start that today. You just need to ask God. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, God, where is it that I'm, that I'm blind? That he, he's going to give you the power to, to walk in his ways and to lead others towards the experience of learning about who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and how you can bring them closer and closer into a beautiful relationship that he offers 
each and every one of us. And so I want to pray for us that we would all do that today. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word, that it speaks volumes, that it changes our hearts, it changes our mind, and it renews our minds so that we can grow more in relationship with you, Jesus, and that we can be transformed. And God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that as you lived in community for eternity past, that you now offer us that, that same community that you've had with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that when you enter into us, God, that you never leave us, that you don't leave us where we're at, but you actually continue to shape us and mold us more into the character of Jesus. And I pray, God, for each of us this morning, that as we reflect on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, and what it means to have the Spirit, God, I pray that for, the, for those of us in here who, who know and, and have the confidence of, of being a Christian, God, that you will renew that, that you will renew our peace of mind in you and that we abide in you. And for those of us who aren't Christians, God, this morning, God, I pray that you, that you convict, our, convict our hearts, that you show these people that, that, uh, that you are the true way to live, that you are the best relationship that we could possibly have, and that through you and in you that we have everlasting life. So I pray all these things in your name. Amen.